Welcome to another episode of the Event Buzz podcast by Purple Pass, a podcast where we connect different industry experts and event professionals online, sharing ideas, insider tips, and inspiring others in the event space. Inspiring is a great word for our next guest. Today, we have Executive Director for the Bisbee Coalition for the Homeless in Arizona, a center that isn't just a shelter, but an agency that genuinely cares for the welfare of anyone and everyone who has a need. Not only do they offer a place to stay, but hot meals, showers, laundry, and a wide array of other services. The nonprofit operates entirely off of grants, donations, and fundraisers. With their next benefit concert just around the corner, we are going to talk all about what it takes to run a successful fundraiser event and other advice for nonprofits listening looking for more creative ways they can raise money to support a cause. Here we go. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? I am doing really good. Please forgive me. I have a little bit of a sore throat, so if I sound hoarse, it's, uh, it's not the audio. It's me. <laughs> okay, hopefully it's just a sore throat, nothing more. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me today, then, especially since you're not feeling the best. Absolutely. Okay, so I'll try not to make you talk so much. You can keep things brief. So let's just dive right into it. Let's start by just introducing the listeners to your guys' nonprofit, um, overall mission, services you provide, how it got started. Well, it's real grassroots organization that started <clears throat> way before I was probably even born. No, I'm joking. Um, it started probably back in the 80s, but it was incorporated in 1996 as a nonprofit. But up until that point, uh, they just kind of gathered together. Community members would come to this building and they would serve meals to whoever needed a meal. And I think they were serving about 20, maybe 30 individuals. And then it kind of evolved into a soup kitchen and an emergency sleep overnight sort of arrangement. And they were having about 10 to 15 men, gentlemen, uh, coming and then at one point, um, somebody said, you know, we really need to organize so that we can can maybe um, garnish some, some grants and some resources and get some money flowing into this place so that we can really offer more support. So they incorporated in 1996, became an official soup kitchen, and then became an official emergency shelter. But at that time, it was only for men. So I think that they were averaging about 10 men per night. And um, I do believe that on on uh, once per week, they were having a community dinner where they invited the public to come. And they would it would be kind of like a smorgasbord, a potluck, so to speak. People would bring in meals and they would, they would all share a meal. And then uh, I took over as director in 2013 and immediately decided that we needed to do more for our community and then not just be limited to men as a shelter. So I, um, I um, requested some funding and we got some funding and we opened up our annex in 2016. And now we offer a shelter to men, women, and families. And uh, it's not just an emergency shelter because the emergency shelter model is they come in, they, they have a meal, they stay overnight, and then we kick them out. And that we, we change that. 
So now it's a program. We have uh, shelter, food, and advocacy for, for men, women, and families with children. And we allow them to stay here so that we can monitor them, monitor their pro, pro I'm sorry, their progress. And then um, to, make, to ensure that they're getting into self-sufficiency, that's the ultimate goal, is to get them into self-sufficiency, into housing, into a job if, if uh, possible. If they're not employable, then we help them get into benefits that they might be entitled to. And we get them counseling. We have counseling here, but we also get them into behavioral health uh, agencies to help them with uh, addictive behavior, um, mental illness, and, and that sort of thing. Now to the community. Now those are our clients into our community. We um, actually give back every week. We go into the community. We clean up streets. We we um, cut grass, mend fences, uh, fix faucets, and then that sort of thing. And then we also hand out a lot of food. So this past uh, year, just to put it in perspective, we handed out uh, 100,000 meals. Wow. So, yeah, it's a lot, especially for such a small agency. Mm-hmm. only have five staff members. So wow. we use okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we use our we use our clients when they come here. We try to we hold them accountable, and part of holding them accountable is actually working for what they get. So they stay at the shelters. There's no charge to stay at the shelter, but we do make them go out into the community and volunteer. We do make them help us uh, hand out the food, go clean yards. They become a, a part of our actual shelter. They take ownership. It's not just you sit here. You, you sit around, you know, whenever you feel like it, you do something. That's not the way it operates here. We actually hold them accountable. Yeah. While also like giving back to the community. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yes. That's, that's, that's definitely something that we, we really stress giving mm-hmm. back to the community because we're supported completely by the community and by our mm-hmm. fundraisers. We don't get any government help. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. I, I was just looking through your guys' website and it, it looks like you guys offer, like you said, so much more than just a shelter. Right. And I love that. So I wanted to, we could briefly just look in how, how has your, the shelter's experience been dealing with COVID? Are you guys able to stay open? Cause it's such a hands-on thing. Um, you know, originally when, when it first happened and of course everybody wasn't sure how how serious this pandemic was going to be and by march you know when we had kind of filtered through what we were what we were facing uh originally we shut down for about three days just so that we could strategize how we were going to approach this because homelessness doesn't stop just because of the pandemic yeah exactly. so right and also with with the uncertainty in the economy we um we actually noticed that there were a lot more people asking for a lot of help, especially when it came to food, when it came to rental assistance, when it came to utility assistance. So we were we we strategized. So our first step was that we uh, actually opened up a house. We rented a house, rented a property, four bedroom house, so that we could isolate anyone in the shelter who we thought was presenting some of the COVID uh, symptoms. And then we could isolate them and we, we could get them through that. 
and then um, and then bring them back to the facility once they they got through that if they got through it. Uh, fortunately, we have not had any of our clients who are in our program uh, contract the virus, so we've been very fortunate with that. However, we have had some of those um, that we help out in the community, those who are underserved, the homeless who won't come to a shelter, who are living out in tents. We've had four of them contract the virus. And so we, here at the shelter, we we check our temperatures twice a day. That was one of the steps that we took. We sanitize twice a day. First thing in the morning, I mean, we spray the place down with uh, with a vinegar spray. It's, it's mixed with water and we just spray the whole place down. We, we're constantly wiping down the common use surfaces. We're taking temperatures twice a day. Uh, we're not, we're no longer allowing volunteers to come in. And that was, that was kind of a, you know, <clears throat> here's, yeah. here's, here's, here's our pillars and we don't have them anymore. Yeah. So um, we no longer allow, because uh, we were actually having a community dinner where we were serving about 150 people mm-hmm. that we ha- that we had to actually put a halt to. But what we do do is we hand out meals in in uh, takeout containers, curbside service. So anybody can can pull up to the shelter. We have a we have a little sign that says "Stop here." Somebody will come out to you. They'll ask you what you need. You don't even have to get out of the vehicle. If they need food, we give them food. If they need uh, a meal, a hot meal, we give them a hot meal. If they need to need to take a shower they still can come to our shower take a shower and then we sanitize it afterwards Mm -hmm. Uh, we still allow laundry the only thing is we don't let them come in we -hmm. take the clothes and we launder the clothes for them ourselves it's been very successful um communities just just really appreciative of what we're doing and there's a lot of hungry folks out there so and like i said the homeless it, it doesn't stop when just because of pandemic I think we've actually had more people in the shelter since the pandemic than when there was uh, before the pandemic. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, we, so we just continue. Yeah. And we've yeah. been very fortunate. Yeah. And we do have our, a lot of our clients do have appointments like with counselors, uh, job appointments, job interviews, housing appointments. So we require that they mask up. And then when they return to the shelter, they have to sanitize it. So, so far we've, we've uh, been able to mitigate any uh, virus contraction. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And the curbside pickup, that's kind of something you guys can continue on even when COVID is over, I would think. We're actually, yeah, we're actually um, contemplating that It, it works out pretty good. Yeah, that's a a lot of things like that have happened talking to different promoters and stuff. They'll do something in response to COVID and then it's actually it actually works out really well. And they're like, hey, well, maybe we're going to keep doing this even beyond, you know, the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think our world has changed um, permanently. I don't think we're going to go back to anything as like we like we were accustomed to. Mm-hmm. I do believe you're seeing you're going to see a lot of mask wearing for a long time. You're going to see a lot of of you know <clears throat> taking extra precautions. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah, I mean, we just have to adjust and adapt, and like absolutely, like you're doing now. It's all about your attitude. So as yeah, long absolutely, as you stay positive. So I wanted to jump into you guys. You still have an upcoming event in May, right? It is May. Yeah. Well, no. Um, in discussion with Los Lobos and then uh, the other uh, 
performers. I think that because uh, in Arizona, you still can only have 25 at an outdoor event. Mm-hmm. That just would not be able to satisfy our need to generate revenues because our revenues, 30% of our operating revenues come from these fundraisers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that wouldn't be enough. So we've talked, we've been in discussion with Los Lobos and I think with Los Lobos, we've already nailed them down to October. It's the other performers that we're still, we're working with. Um, Cause we're also having a, this fantastic group called FLG, a tribute to uh, Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. I don't know. Uh, YouTube them. They're amazing. They sound just like Carlos. And so we're trying to work around their schedule. And then we had a group that has has come to our other events, the uh, Bisbee Mariachi Festivals. Oh, yeah. And uh, they were our headliner this past uh, time in 2019. And <clears throat> they have agreed to come too. We just got to work, work it into their schedule. So it's definitely going to be in October. We're not sure exactly when and i'll i'll make the changes to our yeah yeah to our site to our purple pass site as soon as we nail down the exact date it's looking like it's going to be october 2nd which is a saturday so have you done these fundraising you've done events in the past fundraising we have okay we have yeah purple pass we've used three times or four times yeah i was yeah. looking at like your past events through us and yeah i noticed that one thing i noticed was most of them were i think all of them were out outdoors right they're all outdoors yes okay. i wanted to ask you about that because that's also a question we get a lot about uh when it comes to like venues whether they should do outdoor indoor i just wanted to get your take on it because i'm sure you were involved with planning it what would you say is like um a challenge when it comes to hosting outside events if there is one and then maybe any like suggestions you can give to people that are trying to do their first outdoor event outdoor events are challenging in the sense that um because it's an outdoor event a lot of a lot of i want to make this gentle so that i'm not sounding like we're not grateful but a lot of uh community members like to attend our event for free if you know what i mean yeah so they just sit outside and they just listen to yeah so um that that's 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 a challenge now the the last venue the last venue we've done uh the mariachi festival and then the one we plan on doing the los lobos uh concert it's a huge venue to where that that's almost impossible for them to just sneak in you know sneak in a show without having to pay um keeping the place secure can can be a challenge i would i would uh encourage anyone planning an outside event to make sure you have good security you you're you're making sure that people are safe that um things that don't need to be coming into your your event don't don't make it in and yet still making the, the event friendly, you know, not like it's a Gestapo sort of atmosphere where you have people, you know, uh, waving a metal detector wand on you and yeah. going through your stuff. You really don't want to do that. So what we try to do, and I think we've been pretty successful, is that we make sure that on all our marketing material, and we even have big signs up that said, that, that, that tell our our customers our attendees, uh, this is what's allowed to come in. This is what's not allowed to come in. 
And I think that that really mitigates some of those those issues. We've never had an issue with somebody trying to come in with way too much because it's clearly indicated what you can on our marketing uh, material, our posters. And then we have big signs up right as you arrive. This is what you can bring in and this is what you can't. So I think only one or two times we had some people question it. We had one person try to bring in like a 15-inch knife that we didn't allow to come in. And then then everybody wants to bring in their own drinks and then we don't allow that either, right? So I think that that... If if anybody's doing an outside event, that's what I would encourage. Make sure it's understood and it's indicated on all your marketing material. You'll even see it on our Purple Pass site where we have, this is what you can bring and this is what you can't bring. Mm-hmm. No, that yeah. makes sense. And you just have one entrance and one exit, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Oh, cool. And are you planning on having food vendors at this next event or have you had them in the past? That's a, that's something that's involved, evolved for us too. Okay, so the first time we had an event, we only had 1,200 attend. And then to make sure that we were receiving a a good chunk of the revenue, mm-hmm. uh, since we, we were doing all the legwork, we um, made it exclusive to us uh, for vending food. So we're the only ones, but that's that's really a... That's a difficult task. And we learned as we got bigger that it got more difficult. So this last time, uh, we actually had 8,000 attend. Um, we we did, we uh, solicited um, food vendors. So we had food vendors come in. I think we had 11 come in. And we charged, we charged an, um, kind of a vending fee, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so we didn't have to worry about pre- preparing the food. They prepared the food and we just got um, uh, a fee. And you sat back, relaxed. Yeah, that's yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually got to enjoy the event. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. I mean? You know, I, I think I was like at four or five of the events and I only saw like one performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how crazy it is. As an organizer, that's how crazy it can get. Especially if you guys have such a small staff too. So you're probably hustling all the time. Right, right, right. That would be the second, because um, because you had you said list three, uh, three things that I would recommend. Volunteers, make sure you have volunteers who are there because they're helping your organization and they're committed to it, and not somebody who's just going to show up because they want to get a free concert. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Your volunteers are really, really crucial to a successful event. How many volunteers would you say you guys need? So you said the last one was like 8,000. So how many volunteers? Uh, we had 140 volunteers. Oh, okay. So a lot. Yeah, a lot. I would say the more the merrier, honestly. Yeah, but then you have to you have to manage them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. That's true. That's a good yeah. point. And be, besides your fundraiser, so you have the fundraiser, fundraiser events, then... Besides that, you do grants and you accept donations. What other way have you found like any, like for collecting donations? Like how do you encourage them? What has been the most effective for like getting out into your community and letting them know about what you guys are doing? Wow, that's just a good question. Um, You know, we don't, we don't do a lot of advertising of ourselves. And maybe that's a mistake. We like, we, we 
my hope is that that what we do is so uh, encouraging to those around us that people seek us out and 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 uh, want to contribute to us because they see what we're doing. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. visually, they can see what we're doing. They're hearing they're hearing it through the grapevine, mm-hmm. word of mouth. That hey, this organization really really helps out. Is this an organization that I want to uh, to donate to? And I think that works because we get a lot of unsolicited donations, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. Word of mouth is actually the, obviously the most powerful form. It of is. Thing. Right. If you can get one person talking, one person to share, and it just travels. Absolutely. Yeah. So... It's been so far. It's been successful. We do put out an ad um, around the tax credit time, November through March. We do put out an ad in our local paper, and I think that helps somewhat. And, um, and your you know, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then I guess to help. I mean, like we said, word of mouth. So how right now can I tell people how can they support your guys' organization? What should they do? Absolutely. Um, they can send a check to us, BCH. They don't have to put out Bisbee Coalition for Homeless. BCH will work to uh, P.O. Box 5393, Bisbee, Arizona, uh, 85603. Or they can go to our website. And if you went to our website, you'll see that there's a donate tab. Mm-hmm. And you can go there and um, you can donate through our, our website. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks. You guys are incredible. Everything you're doing, you're you're impacting so many lives. I'm sure you know, but I just want to make sure to say it again. Like you guys are awesome and, and keep up what you're doing. Well, thank you, Savannah. And I appreciate you reaching out to us. Yeah. Yeah.